Welcome to The Rock. My name is Miles. Uh, before we pray, just want to say a couple of words. If you have been watching television, you've seen a, uh, a Republican-Democrat debate over Supreme Court, Brett Kavanaugh, and uh, th that whole um, trial over sexual abuse. And no matter what political side you are on, and I know there's many people on both sides, I want to talk about uh, sexual abuse because I know watching uh, Dr. Ford's testimony and hearing all that, that has stirred up uh, feelings in people who have been abused, one in three women, one in six men. Um, and I want to encourage you, if you have never told anybody about your abuse, that you would tell someone. And that if you hold it in, any trauma, you are reliving that trauma and you are hearing lies associated with that trauma that it was your fault, that you're dirty, you're damaged, lies from the devil, uh, you can live a fulfilled life. No matter what happens to the person who uh, did it to you, you may not have any contact, there may not be any chance of, of that person being brought to justice, but you can be set free. And so I want to encourage you to tell somebody there is a number. Amen. There's a number on the screen for you to get help. Um, Time Magazine did an article recently on uh, people who live long. They, there were certain cities around the country where people live longer than others. And one of the key components of living long is being in a community where people know you and love you. And one of the lies of the devil is that if people knew about what happened to you, they won't love you. Uh, that is a lie. There are people, uh, you need to find people in a safe place where you can share and refute those lies and bring them into the light of the gospel and how much God loves you. Uh, we all have stuff in our life. And so I want to encourage you in that. To the guys in the room, um, I want to encourage you to step back and reevaluate. And for whoever this applies to, I'm not indicting all guys. Uh, but step back and evaluate how you view and treat women. Because our culture is not teaching us what the Bible tells us to, should, we should do. If you are watching pornography, this is a side note. It has nothing to do with my accusation of, uh, of uh, Brett Kavanaugh at all, but I'm just talking to our church. If you are watching pornography, it will destroy your, your ability to have a biblical honoring view of women. It will do that. The devil, the devil promises to bless you, but his desire is to enslave you all the time with every temptation there is whether it be drugs, alcohol, whatever it is, lying, cheating. He is promising you freedom and joy, but he is only desiring to enslave you. Um, and so let me encourage you to be a man of God, to live with integrity and character, uh, surround yourself with men of God that can challenge you in that. We all need people in our life to challenge us in our godliness in every area. Uh, so to the women, please get help. Please talk to somebody. And, and by the way, to the victims. There are men who are victims as well of abuse, one in six men as well. Uh, uh, there's no shame. You should, you don't let the devil put shame on you. Get free and so you can live the fulfilled life that God's called you to live. Amen? Amen. Come on. Lord, thank you for today. We th welcome all the campuses, all seven campuses that we have. We thank you for all the brothers and sisters in prison and jail. Thank you uh, for today. Thank you for this series. Thank you for what you're going to challenge us in today. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, here's what we're going to do. I want you to find someone that doesn't look like you. Give them a hug. Tell them you love them. Ask them their name. God bless you.
Let's see the Bible's church. Let's see the Bible's church. On the count of three, say word. On the count of three, say word. On the count of three, say word. On account of three. Uno, dos, tres. <laughs> On the count of three. One, two, three. Thank you. Matthew chapter seven. Matthew chapter seven. If you were ever at church and you say, why does he keep saying the same thing over and over again every week? Because of that. <laughs> What's your name again? Pastor Miles. That's a, yeah, you've been here seven years. Still don't even know my name. Okay. Matthew 7, chapter 1. We're going to get there in a few minutes. We got, I want to say something to you first. How many of you, by a show of hands, uh, if you're still trying to find Matthew, it's the first book in the New Testament. <laughs> the New Testament is the second third of the book, or the last third of the book. How many of you, by a show of hands, would say this is your church? Okay, keep your hand up. Raise your hand. Look around the room. Okay. How many of you, by a show of hands, I, I, and I'm going I'm to be rhetorical, you are saying that I am your pastor by saying that. Okay, 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 very good. Okay, so that means you're saying I, God has called me here to build the kingdom through the way this church does it. And I believe that God is speaking to that person. Are you following what I'm saying? Yes. Okay. This could be a place you just come to to check the box. I get that. But you're saying, no, no, it's, it's more than that to me. I, I, I subscribe. I should be in our group. I should be serving. I should be tithing, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Two years ago. Um, I decided to write this book called The Third Option, which we've been talking about. We have a series one more week after this. And I did not write the book to sell books or make money. Um, all the books sold here, the profits go to this church. But it's bigger than that. This is a burden that's been on my heart and many people's hearts for my whole life. And over the last month and a half or so, um, I've done, I don't know how many interviews, 60, 70, 80, I don't know. I've been on the road most of the time at conferences, churches. Last week I was at Bishop Jake's church uh, in Dallas, um, who is one of the most influential pastors in the world, who has turned all his efforts to promote not only the book, but the message of the book. And other conferences as well, um, secular and Christian media. And God has affirmed the message of unity that he wants to be promoted, not a, a message of division. The whole book's about, in our culture, we live in an us versus them culture. But the third option, which is the book, is how can we honor what we have in common because we have more in common than we have different. And so God has been opening many doors. This series that we're going through is going to end next week. But what God has had us doing in the world is not. He said, I, I need you to go. Doesn't mean I'm leaving. I'm not leaving here. Tomorrow I get on a plane. I'm gone for most of the week go on different media outlets, conferences, et cetera, to talk about how we can come together uh, and bring, it, bring the country together through the church. By the way, the church has to lead the conversation. Unfortunately, when the world looks at the church, let's give a hand on that point. Amen. But the sad truth is when the world looks at the church, they see segregation. Because 97% of churches are segregated. They're either white, black, Hispanic, and even Hispanic. They're either Mexican, Puerto Rican, even division there. And so the world's looking, well, how are y'all going to tell us about unity? You're not even unified. Now, we, we are blessed that we have the United Nations Skittles up in here <laughs> on all our campuses. So thank God for that. But that is, amen. Come on, come on, come on. 
But God said, I want you to take it one step further. First in your church, it is one thing for us to stand in here with each other. It's another thing for us to stand for each other. And that's the difference. You can stand in church next to people that you don't want to talk to outside. And I know that's fact because I've been told that about people here. If I saw that person out there, we have made an incredible first step. And then the devil said, you should have left well alone. You write that book, you're going to divide people and... In your church. I said, no, 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 we're going to get there. And so I want to challenge you. I want to challenge you to live it and and challenge you to receive the message. But I also am asking, the reason I'm doing this little mini speech is I'm I'm asking you to pray for me as your pastor. Because God is saying, and let me say, God is saying, I need need your mouth out here. And so he's opened up doors of opportunity, not only in other churches and conferences. but also secular media to talk about how can we be unified? Because if you listen to television, most of what we hear is how we're divided. And so he has called me to, to, to do that. What does that mean? It just means that during the week, I'm going to be out there doing stuff and fighting a battle, and I just need you to pray for me. You know, that's pretty much the thing. I still have to balance being a pastor here. I'm not giving that up. I'm still very passionate about this, obviously. I'm, that, that's not changing. However, you know, I'm with more time away from my family and, and more time out there uh, trying to unite the country. Literally, he's opened up the doors. There's a, there's, there's a senator in Washington, D.C. putting together a meeting with some other congressmen and senators so I could talk about the third option to them about how we could. Amen. You can, you can pray for that, that that comes together and that it is received and that the Holy Spirit does something supernatural because that is, the, you know, politics is us versus them personified. And that God, and pray against the devil trying to sabotage that, which he will always try to do. But I, I'm really simply asking you to pray for me and keep me in your prayers so when you see things about the book online that you go out here selling books, selling books, it's way more than that. It's way more. I've done like, I don't know, 60, 70, 80 interviews in the last month and a half or so. And it's not slowing down. And it is out there to say there is hope. I believe in my heart that the country is tired of division. And I believe in my heart the country doesn't know what to do. And I believe in my heart that God's given me a bigger mouth to tell people here's something very simple we can do. And so that's what it is about. It's, it's going to be more about the books, it's going to be curriculums and other stuff that we're going to put together, but it is to bring people together because I really believe everywhere I go, I was at Bishop Jake's church, it was this, you know, uh, 85% African or African American. I've been at a conference two days later, it was 95% white, and, and in a church in South Carolina a month ago that was 95% white, and everyone says the same thing. We want to be united, and this makes sense. So I just need you to pray that God will continue to open up doors to bring the country together and that he will supernaturally feed and fuel that and bring partners who are going to echo that vision. Can I get amen? Amen. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. With that said, last before I I get into the sermon, if you you have a story that God is doing in your life through this message, through this series, through the book, uh, please text it to uh, text uh, my story to 52525. I want to hear what God's doing in your life. It's, it's probably, the, probably the emptiest things about being a preacher is never hearing what the sermons do. So I want to hear what God's doing in your life. Amen? Okay, let me say another prayer get this party started. Lord, bless the message. 
may it challenge us in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Okay. By a show of hands, how many of you saw the movie um, Remember the Titans? Okay, very good. Raise your, look around the room. Look around the room. Okay, put your hands down. How many of you never saw that movie? I'm not going to vilify you. I just want to get a gauge on who to pray for. Okay, boom, 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 boom. Please, please see that movie. Now, if you're not into football, I mean, you might not love it, but you'll break you down to tears. And basically the movie was about a, um, in 1971, a white high school was uh, integrated. They brought black students into high school. And this particular football team that was an all-state football team, all of a sudden went from being all white to half black and half white. Denzel Washington played the black coach who came with the black players, and he ended up becoming the head coach. They made him the head coach, and there was a lot of conflict around it. And the first half of the movie, these white players and black players could not get along. Um, they were just fighting at each other and, and battling, and in the end, they got along, and, and it's, it's a, it was an amazing story. But after they started getting along, there was a, a, uh, a scene where a white player, Sunshine, he was from California, but he happened to go to the school, so he wasn't really from the South, he was from California, so he was more progressive, and they called him Sunshine, because he had long blonde hair, and he was doing Tai Chi outside the school, and all the girls were like, oh, you know, like that. And so he's walking down the street with Petey and Blue, two African-American kids, and Sunshine said, hey, let's go in here and get something to drink or eat or whatever. And the two black guys were like, ho, 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 Sunshine, this is Virginia. We can't go in there. He said, no, 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 it's going to be cool, it's going to be cool. Because he wasn't from that, those parts, if I should say it that way. And, he, and they said, no, 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 we can't go in there. You don't understand, this is the South. This is, this is Virginia. And, they, and he said, no, no, let's go in. And he kind of bum-rushed them into the place. And as soon as they went in there, the manager came over and said, y'all got to leave. You're not welcome. So they go outside and they start arguing. And, and, and Petey and Blue were saying, we told you that they weren't going to accept us. And he says, I didn't know. I didn't know. He had a blind spot. There was something he was blind that he was blind to. I made a statement a couple weeks ago that you can be racially offensive and not be a racist. Uh, let me say, if you ask people they're racist, some will say yes because there are people who are straight up racist. No question. Most people will say no, but the reality is we're all biased. And what does that mean? That we have a less than a neutral view of things because we don't know everything. We have blind spots. We don't understand. We can't see everything clearly. That does not make you racist, but it doesn't also make you right. And so he, he didn't know what he didn't know. He was blind to what he was blind to. Look in your notes. Look in your notes. A blind spot is being unaware of what you cannot see. Being unaware of what you cannot see. The cause is the unknown plank in your eye. <laughs> Matthew 7 verse 1 says, judge not that you not be judged, for with what judgment you judge, you will be judged. And with the same measure you use, it will be measured back to you. And why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye, but do not consider the plank in your own eye? Everyone say plank. 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 So that means you got a tree growing out of your face, and you're trying to see a piece of sawdust in someone else's eye. And it says, or how can you say, brother or sister, let me remove the speck from your eye and look at the forest grown out of your face? <laughs> hypocrite. Say hypocrite. hypocrite. First remove the plank from your own eye. Then you will be able to clearly remove. You will be able to see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Because of this plank in your eye, 
There's something you cannot see in someone else's life. That does not make you a racist. It just makes you blind to something. So three things we want to look at today in dealing with our blind spots. One is we have to admit that we, there's a plank in our eye. Then we have to say, understand the nature of the plank. And then we have to remove the plank. The removal of, not the protection of the plank, nurtures unity. So number one, admit that there is a plank. Everyone say, I need to admit that I got a plank in my eye. Okay, I'm going to show you. That was kind of weak. Let's just say that one more time with some confidence. <laughs> Let me reiterate it. Uh, let me say this point. You have to separate your the possibility of being racially offensive to the reality of being a racist. The reason I say that, again, there are some people who are racist. But if you say something that's racially offensive to someone, they may call you a racist. That doesn't make you a racist. Because you could say that of ignorance. You could say it, you, you have a blind spot. You don't know that that was racist. And so I want to make that clear distinction because it's very important. Because if you can't separate those two things, you will refuse to learn. Because by admitting you have something to learn, you're admitting that you're a racist, which no one wants to admit. Are you following what I'm saying? Yeah. So separate those two things. I have to learn. I can learn. There's something I can be better. So I want you to take your lesson plan out because I'm going to show you what a blind spot is. Take your lesson plan out right here, this little white piece of paper. And on it, you should have a, a box that looks like that. Everyone see that? Okay, so here's what I want you to do. I want you to face the box towards you at about two feet, okay? And here's what I want you to do. Watch me. Watch me, watch me, watch me, watch me. <laughs> I want you to put your hand over your right eye, over your right eye. And with your left eye, I want you to focus on the plus sign. And then I want you to pull the paper slowly towards your eye and notice how the dot will disappear. Say, oh, snap, if it happens. <laughs> They're like, no, it's a trick. It's a magic. It's a magic trick. He put it in there. It's, it's invisible ink. <laughs> Same man if you saw it. Actually, say amen if you didn't see it. It would disappear on you. Okay. Amen. Here's why. In the back of your eye, your eye is round. In the back of your eye, you have what they call rods and cones. They are millions of light receptors that receive the light coming into your pupil. And they process that information and then send it to your brain. Your eye is an extension of your brain. It's the only visible part of your brain that you have is your eye. In the back of your eye are these rods and cones, but right in the back of your eye is where the optic nerve comes into your eye. So therefore, there are no rods and cones on the spot where the nerve hits the back of your eye. That's your blind spot. So what happens is when there's a certain angle that you cannot see anything. But what happens is your brain, because you have two eyes, and by the way, when you did that, even though the dot went away, there was still something there. Your brain filled in it with what it short thought should be there. We all have a social or racial blind spot. There are things about people that you just can't see. There's things about yourself you can't see. There's things that's impossible for you to know. A friend of mine was in England and she did this. Anybody in England know what this means? Say amen if you know what this means. It's flipping the bird. That's what she was told. 
So she's like this, hey, hey, and people are like, yo, what's up, what's up? <laughs> she wasn't trying to offend people. She was just saying peace. <laughs> and they weren't getting peace. <laughs> you have to admit that you have a blind spot. Look what said. Social narrative is a story that shapes your view of the world. When you were born, you were born into a certain house, certain neighborhood, certain apartment, certain family, certain school, certain perspective from the people on your block about everybody else. There's no way you could have got someone else's point of view because you didn't live there. And so your social narrative, the story that helps shape how you see the world, it gives you a prescription for the lens through which you see everything. So right now I see nothing but blur. I don't see anybody's face. All I see are the colors of your clothes. I don't see any skin texture because I can't even see that clearly. That's messed up, huh? (laughs) But now I see. Clearly. Your social narrative gives you lenses and says, here's how you should see the world. The problem is there are six billion social narratives, minimum. Everybody, Everybody has their own social narrative. I had two brothers and two sisters, and within six years, five kids were born in my house. In my bedroom were three boys. Me and my two brothers, we had a bunk bed and another bed. We had three different social narratives, and we lived in the same house. So your social narrative shows you how you see the world. However, because it only shows you a limited aspect of the world, that means you are blind to all the other social narratives. I was even to my own brothers. I did not know how they saw the world different than me. I assume they saw this world just like me. And they lived in, we were in the same bed practically. Matter of fact, the night after my brother and I watched the Exodus, we slept in the same bed. (laughs) This is no joke. We slept back to back, said, look, you watch that side, I'm watching this side. (laughs) Girlfriend ain't coming up in here and getting us. And then I I said to my brother, Mark, Mark, and he went, what? And I went, ah. No, no lie, no lie. I was looking at the wall, so I had the easy job. He was had to guard the room. But <laughs> your racial blind spot is being unaware of being racially offensive while being racially offensive. You're unaware. You just don't know that what you don't know. And then our social narrative, what's the next, what's the next give me the next slide. Our social narrative fills in the racial blind spots. In other words, your social narrative says, here's how you're supposed to view those people. Here's why it's okay to say those people. It's unbiblical to say those people. They're your neighbor. Here's why you shouldn't trust those people. Here's why those people said that. That's your social narrative telling you that. It's not always true. It's not always right. So you have to admit that my social narrative has informed how I should see the world. It has put assumptions in my head about people that I don't even realize are wrong because there are six billion other perspectives that I could not possibly know. You can't. You can't think you're that smart. So you have to realize, okay, let me step back. Maybe, maybe I'm wrong about those people. Maybe, I'm, maybe they're not as sinister or manipulative or oppressive as I thought. Maybe I need to give each individual an opportunity. 
I was at a restaurant. My wife and I were at a restaurant. We actually were at a um, restaurant at a hotel. We were staying at for three days up in Laguna. Very nice hotel. Um, the one thing I spend money on myself is it's not even a lot of clothes, even though I just fell in love with Lululemon, uh, <laughs> is our time alone. That is the most important thing for me to spend my money on is our time alone. So we, and we, and we, we, we hang, we hang. So we were hanging. And this, uh, we're up in Laguna and this kid, he's 23 I think, was serving us. And this kid was like, he was just like the bomb. So, I, and I talked to everybody, right? So I'm like, hey, what's your name? Where are you from? He said, oh, I'm from this neighborhood. So my social, my social narrative made assumptions on him. He's from Laguna, Orange County, Irvine area, you know, nice area, nice area. I'm like, I'm having assumptions. And he's articulate. He went to four years of college. I, and he's now training to go into the Navy. I'm like, how are you training to go into the Navy? And he was, he was kind of evasive on, my, on his answer. Then I finally got out of him that he's preparing to become a Navy SEAL, an officer. And I was like, oh, snap. <laughs> and you're serving me eggs? I mean, what's up with that? <laughs> So I'm just, we were just loving on this kid, talking to him, talking to him. He's like, I got to go because I kept talking to him, wanting to talk to him. And I said, you know, I got I to write this kid a note. I got to write a note to his parents. Say that this kid was awesome. And I was going to give it to him. Say, give it. So right before I tell, tell him that, I said, hey, God said to me, you need to ask him um, who raised him. I was like, all right. I had assumptions about how he got his job and where he lived and what he lived like. And he's, I said, hey, man, I want to write a note to somebody who ever raised you because they did a great job, blah, 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 blah. And I said, who raised you? What an odd question to ask. And he said, um, I said, can I, can I send it to your mother? He says, I don't have a relationship with my mother. I was like, what about your dad? He said, well, I left my house at 14. I raised myself. I was like, now I really want to adopt you. I had an assumption. Your social narrative is going to tell you things that are not true about people. And your brain is just going to fill in the blank of what you don't know based on what you know, but it's going to be wrong a lot of the times. You have a blind spot. So we have to admit that there is a plank in all of our eyes. It doesn't mean you're mean. It means you've been given partial information. It means that in some, in some cases you've been given derogatory information that you just thought was right because of who told you. But with that information, you can, you can, it's, it's impossible. It's even impossible for you to know the people who grew up next to you because you don't know what's going on in their life. You don't know what experiences they had. Sometimes we can have one experience and can change the whole course of how we view everybody else because the devil will use that in our life or, or God can use it in your life. Number two, understand the nature. By the way, give me, give me, give me uh, Jeremiah 17.9, please. Jeremiah 17.9. It says, the heart is deceitful and desperately wicked. Who can know it? The heart is deceitful and desperately wicked. Here's what the heart tells us. The heart tells us that your experience is the truth. It's a truth for you. That's true. But it's not the truth. <laughs> that your experience is the is the. Your experience and your view is superior to everyone else's. Therefore, you don't need to learn from anybody else. Therefore, when someone tells you that there's another way of looking at things, you reject it because yours is superior. That's a blind spot. Versus saying, I have an experience. I have a view. I have a social narrative. And it is real. 
but it is only part of a bigger puzzle. Lord, help me understand the bigger puzzle as I try to live out the third option of honoring what we all have in common, which is that we were all made in the image of God. And they're all 99.5% genetically identical, by the way, every single one of us, every human. Number two in your notes, uh, understand the nature of your plank. First, you have to accept that, okay, I got a plank. I got a blind spot. My Something's blinding me from understanding other people and loving other people, especially people from different neighborhoods. And by the way, it's not always someone who looks different than you. It's, it's as much as someone who grew up in a different culture than you. Because you could be one ethnicity, have grown up with people who don't look like you, but that's, and that's what you're accustomed to because that was your social narrative. And you don't understand people who look like you because they came from a different culture. It's whatever, it's whatever culture you were born in. Say amen if I'm making sense to you. Amen. And so as a, as a believer in Christ, your, our responsibility is to say, Lord, I'm a sinner. Please help me understand how I can love others and help me get out of my own way and help me understand that my sinful nature only sees the world dimly as in a mirror, but one day I'm going to see clearly. And the only way I'm going to be able to receive that is to receive it from you. And so the next thing we're going to do is to understand the nature of the plank. Proverbs 27, 17 says, as iron sharpens iron, so another man sharpens another man. Another woman sharpens another woman. A friend of mine is a pastor of a traditionally black church in Boston. And he has a couple, a few white families coming to his church. And we were talking about the book. And he said, he said, Miles, I want to I have more whites come to my church. What, what do you think I should do? I said, you should probably ask the whites that are coming what you should do. <laughs> They'll tell you. They'll tell you why they came. They'll tell you why, you know, what appeals to them, what's foreign to them, what, is, what they don't get, you know, what makes them feel uncomfortable and what can make them feel more comfortable. Then you can decide if there's something you want to do. But just ask. Imagine if y'all, all of us went to someone who is ethnically different, culturally different, and said, is there any way I'm offensive to you? Is there, is there anything I say that's offensive? There's a lot of people who, you know, we just say these smart aleck things. We talk about those people. Or there's things we don't say when those people are around, but we say it when people who are like us are around. Just ask people, you know, is there anything I said? Is there anything I've ever said that made you feel uncomfortable? You'd be surprised. Now, if you can do that, you know what that says about you? That you want to learn and you want to grow. And that you're admitting you're not perfect, which the Bible says we're not. None of us are perfect. Let me give you another example. Ladies. You have any guys in your life that are creepy? Can I get an amen, ladies? You just like, as soon as you see them coming, you want to put on a coat. Some, sometimes you just, can't, you, just, you just can't put your finger on it. It's just like, ew. What's the point? Ladies, fellas, imagine if you went up to the ladies in your life and said, is there anything I do to make you feel uncomfortable? Just tell me, please, I don't want to make you feel uncomfortable. I want to honor you as a human being. Same thing. You can go on down the line. You want to remove the plank and understand what it is. You could just ask somebody. At the, end of, at the back of your lesson plan, at the end, there's also a test you could take. It's called the implicit bias test. You, you can learn about some of your blind spots, some of the biases you have. You can go online and take a test. Millions of people have taken that implicit bias test. It's pretty fascinating and amazing. And number three, 
Oh, by the way, I'm going to read something to you out of this biases. In chapter 6, 5, and 6 on, on blind spots out of this book, it says, here's a blind spot. I claim I don't have any racist, a racist bone in my body, but I resist letting certain people get too close to my family. In other words, <laughs> you could. Jeff, Jeff, Jeff Foxworthy said, he said, you might have a blind spot if you say, I love all people as long as they don't live in my street. That's a blind spot. I claim all people are equal, but in my heart I believe that my ethnicity is superior to others. I claim all people are equal, but I feel, that, feel and act inferior to certain people because I have internalized the views of my critics. In other words, everybody's equal, but I feel inferior. I resent being the victim of discrimination or stereotyping, but I have no problem doing it to other people. I claim all people are God's children, but treat some like they belong to another family. I claim to acknowledge many perspectives in life, but I'm not really willing to learn from any views that challenge mine. You know, there are some people that you might not be willing to learn from. Subconsciously, you, I'm not going to learn from that person. Because for some reason, and you might not even realize it, but you may be making a statement that they're inferior to you. Maybe. I am unintentional, and I, I'm an unintentional participant in a bigoted system, so I am insulated from the guilt of bigotry. News stations are biased. Newsflash, breaking news. <laughs> news outlets, media outlets are biased, and they make money on division. As long as we're divided, they make money. Because they have stories and drama to report on to get people to watch because we like gossip. And it feeds cash. I don't know if you believe that. Do you understand what I'm saying to you? So when you were watching a news station, CNN, MSNBC, Fox, or whatever, you are watching a station that has a bias. Doesn't mean necessarily they're right or wrong, but they're biased. They are on one side against another, and when you are on one, when you live in an us versus them culture, listen to this next point, please, very carefully, because it will resonate with what's what's difficult about this whole thing. Because we live in an us versus them culture, as soon as you identify as us, you can never agree with them. This book says there's a third option that I'm going to honor what we have in common. This is the most difficult thing about this because as soon as, if, as, as soon as you as us agree or affirm something about them, the us group will say you are a sellout. You have to realize you don't belong to us or them. You belong to Christ. That's why your identity in Christ has to be solid. You have to know that your views, are, if they're not biblical, then you can't be committed to them. And the world's not going to have there, there, no group in the world is going to have biblical views other than the word of God. And number seven, it says, or number eight, I claim that because racism doesn't impact me, it doesn't exist, or at least to the degree that people say. Again, if your social narrative, if you surrounded yourself with people who are like you and everything's cool, and you don't experience the pain of other people, your blind spot is to assume that your reality is everybody's reality and everybody else is making it up. That's a blind spot. Instead of saying, Lord, I want to know what's their experience. 
and vice versa. And by the way, you may be going through a lot of uh, 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 discrimination and think that all these people have it easier or all these people don't care when that's not true either. Because whoever you are, whoever we all are, none of us have the whole picture. That's what we always have to accept. There is a plank in my eye. Lord, tell me what that is. Show me what it is I don't know. Let me always be, have a posture of wanting to learn and listen and allow people to self-disclose. No matter what judgments I place on them. To me, I tell you, it is so fascinating to me because people are fascinating to me. For me to walk up to somebody and I have these assumptions because you can't even stop them. They're subconscious. Soon as you see somebody, you go, duh, 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 duh. you process in your mind what you see. And then you say, okay, I got it. Now you stand over here. Now tell me about your life. Tell me about your pain. When I go to the airport, you go to the airport and you see someone taking your bag. I'm in airports all the time and I love talking to the, all the, from the bag handlers to the ticket lady to the TSA person. Everyone's going to get an earful for me. What's up? What's your name? Where are you from? da 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 da, da. And these bag handlers, that'll, they'll, they'll be from, from here in San Diego. They'll be from Ethiopia. And, and I know them because I see them all the time. Hey, hey, Pastor Miles, how you? Hey, Brother Hat, what's up, what's up? Hey, how many languages do you speak? Oh, I speak seven languages. Because <laughs> like, and I'm working on number eight. But I forgot number five, so I'm refreshing. I'm like, brother, brother, please stop. And you may assume something about them. Don't. Don't assume. And number three. The removal of, not the protection of the plank, nurtures unity. This is where we have to live. Because once you learn your blind spot, if you don't do anything about it, then that's a different story. In other words, I'm offensive and I don't care. Well, they have a name for people like that. Mark chapter 8, verse 22. It says, Jesus came to Bethsaida, and they brought a blind man to him. And the blind man begged Jesus to touch him. He took the blind man by the hand and said, and let him out of the town. And when he had spit on his eyes, can you imagine that? Jesus, please heal me. Okay. <laughs> Brother, I mean, a little prayer would have been fine. <laughs> Probably why he brought him out of town. He wanted to embarrass the brother. <laughs> so he brings him out of town. He spits on his face. And then he puts his hands on him and asks him, did he see anything? And he looked at him and said, I see men walking like trees. So he kind of understood what men look like, kind of understood what trees look like. Let me tell you something. Y'all look like men walking with trees. Okay. Then he prayed for him again. Put his hands on him again and made him look up. And he was restored and saw everything and everyone clearly. This is a process. For all of you who go to school, you have jobs, you have coworkers, classmates, neighbors, clients who are from different culture than you, who don't look like you. Not only has God called you to be a light to everyone, Imagine the full life you would have if you would say, Lord, show me what I don't know about how I even receive them, what I think about them. 
please do not assume that you are so good you couldn't possibly have an impure thought. Say, Lord, check my heart, search my heart, because I want to have better relationships with my clients. If you're a salesperson and all you can do is sell to people who are like you, you just cut out so big a part of the population. You can't, you just cut your business in half. If you're a teacher and you can only relate to the kids who are like you, you're not serving the other kids. I can go on and on. You get what I'm, my point. But imagine if you can relate to everybody. And, and over time, you got better and better and better at relating to everybody. I was walking into high school, getting ready to do a high school assembly in Philly. It was a black and Puerto Rican high school. And I had a youth pastor with me from New Jersey. He was a white kid. I was a youth pastor, kid, young guy. And walk, literally walking up the steps, he stopped me and said, hey, Miles, tell me how I should act. I said, what do you mean? He said, well, tell me how I should act when I go to school. I said, brother, you can't act good enough to fool anybody. They're going to see through all that. Just be yourself. And if you are yourself, even if you're goofy, for real, even if you're like, hey, goofy, <laughs> but they see that that's really who you are and you are being yourself, we're good. But if you go in there and try to be something, because let me tell you something, you, 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 can't, you can't do all that. You can't do that. Don't George, I do that. If, if we could just say, Lord, just search me. I, I, I don't know everything. I have a very limited view of the world because I only have one, one six billionth of the story. So show me my blind spots. Go to your friends. Go to your neighbors. Say, look, I'm, I'm reading this book. Please help me. Get the book. Do the book. Let's do better for God than sitting here. I'm not saying all we do is sitting here. I know there's incredible relationships in this church. Let's take it to another level. And then let's take it out to the world. Let's change our county. Let's change our state. Let's change our country. Can I get an amen? Let's, amen. Let's pray. Lord God, I thank you for your faithfulness. Lord, there may be some people in here who have been violated, as we talked about in the very beginning of the service. We want to pray for you. There are some people here you want to give your life to Christ. There are some people here who have been hurt by discrimination. You're tired. You've been discouraged. We want to pray for you. There's some people here, you know, you just want God to purify your heart. You got junk in your heart that was put in you, but you know you want to get rid of it. You know it's no good. So just one prayer for all y'all. In the privacy of your heart, say, dear God, oh, cleanse my heart. Cleanse my pain. Fill me with the Spirit of God. Jesus, I surrender my life to you. I know you died and rose from the dead. That I may be set free from these lies. So I receive that freedom. I receive that liberation. Thank you. In Jesus' name. Eyes closed, heads bowed. If you prayed that prayer in a minute, I'm going to ask you to stand up. 
If you want someone to stand with you, someone you came with, just tap them on the leg, grab their hand. And on the count of three, I'm going to ask you to stand if you prayed that prayer on all the campuses. One, two, three. Stand to your feet if you prayed that prayer.